Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen. Word of God for our meditation this evening is a, a portion of our his, Passion History reading from earlier, Mark 14, verses 55 to 65. Dear fellow disciples of Christ, if we were to imagine the previously untold and unknown story of Christ's, pre- Christ's passion being presented to a movie studio as the basis for a film, it probably would not get immediate approval. The producers would tell the writer that all the drama is great, and they probably wouldn't have an issue with the violence, but they would claim that the story would be just too hard for an audience to really get into. For one thing, the hero is a guy who never fights back and ends up dying an awful death for what seems to be no good reason. So there's no payoff for the audience member who's been rooting for this Jesus character all along. And another thing is the villain issue. There are just too many of them. A good movie, the the writer proposing the story would be told, a good movie should have one clear villain, maybe two or three in special cases, because the audience wants someone to root against. But the passion history? Well, it's got the, the traitor Judas, the impulsive and faithless Peter. It's got the gutless governor, Pilate, the abusive crowds, the insulting criminal on the other cross, the, the soldiers who beat and taunt Jesus for fun, and, of course, all the Jewish leaders intent on engineering his execution. How's the audience going to know who the really bad guy is in a story like that? And how happy are they going to be if at the end almost all of them end up the winners and the hero loses? So it's a good thing the Holy Spirit never submitted the four Gospels to a Hollywood movie studio for their approval. But it is an interesting point about the villains. Is there one that really stands out as the worst of the worst? Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial might have hurt Jesus the most. But there is one figure in all of this who, who might be singled out as the baddest of the bad guys. Because just about everything he did was planned and, and calculated to hurt Jesus and bring about his death. While all the time he presented himself to the world as one of the goodest of the good guys. We just read about him, in fact, as he led the members of the Jewish council, the the Sanhedrin, in their joke of a trial of Jesus, Caiaphas, the high priest. And there is a word for the kind of villain he was, for someone who, who puts on a mask and plays the part of someone he is not in order to deceive others as to who he really is and what he really is doing. That word is hypocrite. So tonight we will examine the hypocrisy of Caiaphas. 
Not so that we can shake our heads at him or so we can congratulate ourselves for not being like him. Taking a closer look at his role and actions will also force us to take a closer look at ourselves, to examine our own hearts, to see if we too are guilty of having hands of hypocrisy. Now Mark provides us with with detailed information about the, the interaction between Jesus and Caiaphas, even though he never mentions the high priest by name. Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin in the the middle of the night, which was not only highly unusual, it was illegal. The goal of this gathering was not getting to the truth. It was to find evidence, any kind of evidence, even false evidence, that would quickly give them an excuse to convict Jesus of something worthy of death. But when you're dealing with the perfect life of the perfect Son of God on earth, it's going to be very hard, impossible, to find evidence of anything that he did wrong, let alone something worth executing him for. So they tried another tactic, one that we're all pretty familiar with. Taking something someone actually said out of its context, and twisting it to mean something awful. So they got some witnesses to say that Jesus had claimed, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Now, Jesus actually did say something like that at the beginning of his ministry. We we just read about it in this past Sunday's Gospel. But he was talking about the temple of his body, not the physical temple that the Jews worshipped in. But even this testimony couldn't stick to Jesus because those witnesses didn't agree in what they said. You can imagine how much this must have frustrated Caiaphas. Here they finally had a golden opportunity to to rid themselves forever of this upstart Galilean rabbi, and they still couldn't even manage to get their lies straight. And none of this was succeeding at all in getting any kind of a rise out of Jesus, who just stood there taking it all without even dignifying their accusations with a defense. So finally, Caiaphas steps up. We can imagine him thinking something like, do I have to do everything around here? And he asks Jesus directly, have you no answer? What is this they are testifying against you? But Jesus had no reason to answer. So he remained silent until Caiaphas raised the stakes. He put Jesus under oath and demanded, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? It was a simple yes or no question, but it was also devilishly clever. To say no would be to disappoint all who followed Jesus and give his enemies free reign to charge him with spiritual fraud and and worse. To say nothing would be almost the same because it it would not affirm what his disciples and others claimed about him precisely when it mattered most. 
But for Jesus to say yes would be just what the high priest and his allies were looking for. Jesus understood all this. He knew the trap that had been laid for him, and this time, because it was his time, he walked right into it. Because he could not deny the truth and had to proclaim it clearly once and for all. He said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now was neither the time for silence nor evasion. It was a time for unqualified and unadorned truth. And it was time to suffer at the hands of these hateful men. Time to carry out God's plan of salvation, to take it to its completion. Now, imagine what should have happened when Jesus spoke those words. We know the members of the council gathered there were not believers, but if they had at least been honest men, they would have said, and the high priest would have agreed, finally, now we have something actually to discuss. Let's hear the evidence and see how this man backs up his claim to be the Christ and Son of God so we can determine whether he's telling the truth or is the worst kind of heretic and false prophet. And this is truly what Caiaphas should have said, and it's what he should have wanted, because he held the highest spiritual office there was. And as high priest, he was supposed to represent God, and therefore to want nothing else but to seek out and live out his will. That was what he presented himself as. That's the role he was playing. But the reality was much different. He only pretended at virtue and righteousness. The desires of his heart were thoroughly ungodly. So at this key moment, with the clear confession of Christ ringing out in the room, this morally bankrupt man made a huge display of moral outrage. He grabbed his collar with his hypocritical hands and tore his clothes and asked, Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. Blasphemy. Because, of course, he could not, even for a moment, entertain the thought that Jesus might actually be who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God. Caiaphas was so shocked that he ripped his robes, outraged by what he had just heard. But perhaps he was also overjoyed, because that was a charge that would stick. Blasphemy was all the Sanhedrin needed to be rid of Jesus once and for all. And then, for just a moment, all the hypocrites took off their masks. 
The men who made up the Sanhedrin, usually so desirous of of appearing wise and moderate and and respectful and, and worthy of respect, well, they all jumped right in there with Caiaphas. They all condemned him as being worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They covered his face and struck him with their fists, saying, Prophesy! It hurts just to imagine the scene, doesn't it? What they were doing to our Savior, to to their Savior. Why would they do such things? Why the rage and, and lust for his death? In particular, why was the high priest, God's representative to his people, so willing to set aside all pretense of piety in order to destroy Jesus? Part of it was politics uh, and a desire to, to, to protect their power. The Jewish leaders were afraid that if the masses started following Jesus, well, then they would lose their authority with them, and with that, their hope of being able to maintain the modest self-rule that the Jews, through them, enjoyed under the Romans. There was even an earlier incident with the Sanhedrin, recorded in John 11, when Caiaphas argued that Jesus must die so that the nation might live. But there was a spiritual reason why Caiaphas hated Jesus and would stop at nothing to destroy him. The high priest represented a religious system and a way of life that was all based on the idea that God only rewards people who are and do good. And some especially like the religious leaders and men like Caiaphas, were were convinced that they were and were doing enough good to get into heaven on their own. And the people thought they needed to be like them in order to be saved. And then Jesus came. And he turned their comfortable world upside down. Instead of patting them on the back, he told them to repent. He called them whitewashed tombs, a a brood of vipers, children of the devil. He called them out for their hypocrisy, not to embarrass them or, or score points, but to wake them up. Because he cared about them, he wanted them to see the error of their ways. And he wanted them to see that God's grace was their only hope, and he was the only way to heaven. Even at this late point, when Jesus was making his confession before Caiaphas and prophesying that the high priest would someday see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, that that their roles would be reversed and the judge would be judged, even then, Jesus was in love, calling Caiaphas to repent. He didn't. And he thus demonstrates for us the inherent danger of hypocrisy, because he had begun to believe his own lie, that he was actually righteous and doing God's will. While the hypocrite only cares about what can be seen on the surface and and projects an image to keep people from seeing what's really inside, 
he or she eventually forgets that the act isn't actual. So the hypocrite believes that he or she doesn't need to repent of his or her sins because he or she has no sin. But God's Word corrects that kind of thinking. In his first letter, John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We like to think that's only talking about other people. But is it? Are you vulnerable to self-deception? Are you guilty of hypocrisy? Have you ever been critical of another Christian for committing a sin that you struggle with yourself? You know, we work so hard to project a positive image. We want others to see us in a certain way, but there are sins that we want no one to see. And even if we are able to hide some of our deepest and darkest secrets from the people around us, we cannot keep anything from God. Every person, every Christian, is guilty of hypocrisy. So what separates us from Caiaphas? What or who prevents us from going down the same path? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus calls us to repent because he loves us. Jesus warns us to stop pretending that we have no sin. Tells us to remove the mask and to look to him to remove our guilt. When we come clean and confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and will purify us from all unrighteousness. And since Jesus makes us righteous, holy, and blameless in the eyes of God, how we look in the eyes of other people, well, it stops being so important. In fact, the hope we have in Jesus makes it irrelevant. A hypocritical high priest may have presided over that sham of a trial, but our great high priest was always in control. Jesus knew and had predicted that he would be mistreated. Jesus could see that the questions Caiaphas asked were an obvious attempt to trap him. But he still answered them because he was not concerned about saving his own life. He was on a rescue mission to save sinners from eternal death. And so he spoke and testified to the truth because he is the truth, and the truth sets us free. Amen. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, both soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it.